0: I have heard it said that the measure of a Christian is who he or she is in private. The measure of a Christian is who he or she is in private, alone before the Lord, on his or her knees, where no one can see. A person's relationship with Christ is revealed through private prayer. A person's pursuit of Christ is revealed through private prayer. A person's heart for Christ is revealed through private prayer. The measure of a Christian is who he or she is in private. Jesus himself captures this idea in his teaching, specifically in his Sermon on the Mount. And this morning, we as a congregation resume our sermon series in the Sermon on the Mount that we had started back in September... We took a brief pause during Advent for a few weeks, and we're back into it beginning today. As a review, the title of this sermon series is The Way of the King, The Way of the King, because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus unveils the qualities of his kingdom, the characteristics of his kingdom, what it looks like to live your life under his reign what your life is to be about, the qualities and the characteristics of his kingdom. Now, if you happen to be new to Beacon, I want to to welcome you and just share a little bit about our practice of preaching. Uh, We typically work through large portions of Scripture, alternating Old and New Testaments, systematically walking through uh, passage by passage expositing the, the passage or the text. That means to mine out, to bring out what God has put in there. That's what we seek, seek to do, and all of it centers on Jesus Christ, his person and his work. Whether you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, Jesus says all of it testifies of him. And so that's, that's our practice. We want to welcome you. We would love for you to join us this winter and spring as we continue uh, this series in the Sermon on the Mount. Our hope is to finish it right before Mother's Day. So we'll be here for the next several months, just taking it passage at a time. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, you can find that on page 811. Page 811. If you're here today and you need a copy of the Bible, we love to give free Bibles away. In the lobby, there are three bookshelves. The one closest to the restrooms, you can find several black hardback Bibles. Please take one if you need one. If you have a friend that needs one, by all means, get one for your friend as well. Matthew 6, I'll read verses 5 through 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, before we took a break for Christmas, we had just started Matthew chapter 6. We had just turned from Matthew 5, walking through all of Matthew 5, Opening our Bibles to Matthew 6. And what happens here in Matthew 6 is a little mini series within the broader series of the Sermon on the Mount. We see this in Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18. In those verse- verses, Jesus warns against practicing your righteousness or exercising your spiritual disciplines to be seen by others, to be praised by others, to be patted on the back by others. In other words, he's Warning us against religious showmanship, which is a danger for any Christian. Practicing religion for all the wrong reasons, for the praise of people. He introduces us to this warning. If you just look back with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. It serves as an introductory verse on this little mini-series, this warning against practicing your righteousness for others to applaud you. Matthew 6, verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So that's the sort of summary warning, and then he unpacks that three times over through three different spiritual disciplines. Giving, we talked about that on December 3rd, then he moves into praying, another spiritual discipline. Talk about that today. And then next week, well, actually not. The next few weeks, we're going to camp out in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus does this little excursus, as you can see, in verses 9 and following on the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to camp out in the Lord's Prayer for a few weeks, and then we'll come back to fasting. But giving, praying, and fasting, those are the topics at hand in verses 1 through 18 that Jesus is warning against practicing those religious disciplines, spiritual disciplines, to be seen and applauded by others. Well, the charge that I want to leave you with today, here in Matthew 6, 5 through 8, is this. Pray with a pure heart. It's that simple. That's Jesus' message here in these verses. Pray with a pure heart. He is interested in the inner workings of our heart. Pray with a pure heart. That's the charge. That's what he's saying. And here's how we're going to organize our time in this passage. First, we see an example of an impure heart of prayer. An example of an impure heart of prayer in verse 5. And then he follows that with two instructions for fostering a pure heart of prayer. Two instructions for fostering a pure heart of prayer. You see that in verses 6 through 8. All right, so first, let's begin with an example not to follow. An example of an impure heart of prayer. We see this in verse 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, by way of observation, you want to miss this. Notice how he begins verse 5. And when you pray. Notice he doesn't say, And if you pray. He says, and when you pray, which means Jesus presupposes that his people pray. Jesus expects his people to be praying people. He expects the citizens in his kingdom to pray, to plead before him. And when you pray, not if you pray. Prayer is a gift and a privilege. And if we're honest, prayer is also a discipline and a struggle. Yet Jesus desires that we pray. He expects us to pray. My hope in this sermon is that it will serve as a step of encouragement for you to press in to prayer, a step of encouragement for you to pray and to keep praying, to ask and keep asking. Jesus says in verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. So Jesus is providing us a a negative example, an example not to follow. He's referring to the religious professionals of his day, the scribes and the Pharisees, who at times he named them hypocrites. Why? Why did he call them hypocrites? What does that word hypocrite mean? The word hypocrite means to act the part in a play, Greek actors would wear different masks in a theatrical performance playing different actors. So what Jesus is doing by calling them hypocrites is saying that they're acting as people who are following God, who are seeking God, when in reality, that's not at the core of who they are. Their hearts aren't right with God. They are masquerading. They are pretending to be religious, pretending to be devout. That's what he's speaking of when he he says that they're hypocrites, they're masquerading. They're praying for all the wrong reasons. What does he say that they're ultimately motivated by? He says, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. That's what they're after. The eyeballs of others on them, that they may be seen and praised and applauded. Public prayer was part and parcel of the Jewish religious life. Praying in private, praying in public, that was part of the Jewish way of life, part of Jewish piety. There were public prayers in local synagogues, much like we do here at Beacon. I prayed, Dylan prayed, Josh prayed. People pray all the time in these public settings, these worship gatherings. The same was so in local Jewish synagogues. There was also public prayer on the street corners, as we see here. During various fasts and focal religious times in the Jewish calendar, a trumpet would blast and people would stop what they're doing. Men in particular would stop in what they're doing and pray right on the spot. And sometimes these prayers were exceedingly ostentatious, seeking to draw attention in the word choice, in the flowery language, in the souped-up religious speech, in the intonation and the fervency. Much of it was an act, Jesus is saying. Praying so that people put their eyes on you. That's what he's warning against. The temptation in public praying to draw attention to yourself. That's praying for the wrong reason. It's praying with an impure heart. See, Jesus is targeting our hearts Why do we ultimately pray? Particularly, why do we ultimately pray in public? What are we after? For ultimately after the praise of people, sadly, that's all we'll ever get. That's what he's saying here. Truly, I say to you, these hypocrites have received their reward. This is a tragic irony, a tragic, empty irony. When you're only about the praise of people, You may get that in this life, but that's all you're going to get. You may get applause and a pat on the back, and it may feel good for a time, but it's never going to last. That's what Jesus is warning against. You've received your reward. If that's what you're after, the praise of people, you'll receive it in this life, but it won't satisfy, and that's all you're going to get. Just a, a warning against seeking the approval of people in this life. It is so alluring. How do you seek the approval of people in your own life. How are your decisions, your actions dictated by what other people are going to think? We all are prone to live enslaved to the opinions and the approval of other people. Jesus is warning, warning against that. It never satisfies. Human praise is fleeting. The earthly pat on the back that you and I so often desire never satisfies. We need, we need another pat on the back and another one after that. It never satisfies True satisfaction is not found in man's approval. True satisfaction is only found before your creator's approval of you. And you have it when you look to him with eyes of faith and trust in your identity in him, in what Christ has done for you. Your identity is in him, not in what you do, but in who you believe. Well, what are some public settings where we can be tempted to pray for all the wrong reasons? Let's just get practical here. And I'm preaching to myself because I just pre- prayed for about nine minutes. We begin our service strategically with a long extended prayer. And you might ask, why do you do that, Dane? Why do you do that? Because we at the outset of our, our service are saying we are 100% dependent upon the living God. We need God. We don't want to start this service until we look to him and ask for his grace. We need God. God. And we need Him in all these various ways. We need the gospel. We need community. We need empowerment for mission. You can just outline my prayers as I pray. Is Dane praying the gospel? Is he praying about community? And is he praying about missions? That's what I do every Sunday. I have categories of prayer the gospel, community, and mission. You can just outline it. And I'm I'm giving you the Cliffs notes here. We need God in all of those areas. We need him. He gives us the gospel. We need him to do life as a community. We need him to do mission. We start out with a long pastoral prayer because it is a statement at the outside. We are desperate for God. We don't want to move forward in this corporate gathering unless we have our eyes on him, seeking him. What's the danger though, Dane? What's the danger, pastor? Me using language that nobody else knows because I want to draw attention to myself or drumming up some fervency. I, I'm not, I'm, we, we need to pray with an unction and, and, and urgency, but also true to your personality. And so I hope as you hear me pray, you're not hearing somebody that's not who Dane is over a cup of coffee, or in a conversation, or in a small group Bible study. We, we want sort of integrity and wholeness throughout all our, our, our areas. And so I, I hope you don't hear some tone or word choice that's that seems wow is this, this guy drawing attention to himself that's what jesus is warning against so ministry leaders pastors elders worship leaders who pray in corporate settings like we've seen this morning there's a temptation to pray in a way that draws attention to yourself have you ever been invited to pray before a wedding reception or at a family gathering or some other public setting that can be a little bit unnerving i just say this be yourself and when you get nervous, just have a Bible with you and pray the scriptures like Josh did to, to introduce the sermon. He just, he just opened up the Psalms and prayed the Psalms, okay? How are you invited to pray in public settings? You're probably given the opportunity at some point. And then maybe a very common one, if you've ever been in a small group Bible study, a community group, a discipleship group, you break up into groups of three, four, five people, there's a temptation there to put on kind of a face, and to pray in a way that draws attention to yourself. Just be guarded. Pray with a pure heart. Some helpful diagnostic questions to consider. Do I pray more frequently and fervently in public or when in private? Am I more frequent and more fervent in my public prayers than in my private prayers? That's a diagnostic question to kind of get at what's going on in your heart and what you're motivated by. Do I love my private place of prayer? Do I have a private place of prayer? Do I love to go there? Is my public praying simply an overflow of my private praying? What happens in public ought to be an overflow of what we've already done in private in relationship with God. Jesus is after our hearts, the motivation behind our spiritual disciplines, and this morning we're examining praying. He desires that we pray with a pure heart, a heart that earnestly seeks him and his praise and not the praise of people. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. In fact, you might be skeptical, I think if you talk to a lot of people who are skeptical or who are turned off by Christianity, one of the reasons they are so is because of inauthentic Christianity or hypocritical Christianity. Well, I'm here to tell you that Jesus doesn't like that either. Jesus is seeking authenticity. Jesus wants the message of our lips to match the message of our lives, consistency, not two-faced religious living. He doesn't like hypocritical living either. And so I would just encourage you, if you're skeptical or if you've been turned off or jaded by some experience of hypocritical Christianity, well, Jesus doesn't like that either. Keep reading his word and seeking what he's after, because he's after authenticity. He's after our hearts. So first, an example of an impure heart. Second, two instructions for fostering a pure heart of prayer. Jesus provides these two instructions in verses six and eight, and I'll summarize them first and then we'll, we'll tease them out. So here's the first, pray privately to foster a pure heart of prayer. Pray privately to foster a pure heart of prayer. And then secondly, pray concisely to foster a pure heart of prayer. Pray concisely to foster a pure heart of prayer. Let's consider this first instruction, pray privately to foster a pure heart of prayer. Jesus says in verse 6, and when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. Now, at the outset of this instruction, we can make a mistake here by kind of making absolute what Jesus is saying. The Sermon on the Mount is edgy. Jesus speaks with force, and we're meant to feel the force. But we also have to be careful not to, to make absolute some of the things that he's saying here. He's not saying, you shall never pray in public. He is saying you should prioritize your private praying, and out of that, you should, out of the overflow of your private praying, you should pray publicly. I mean, Jesus himself prayed publicly. Later on in Matthew's gospel, he prays publicly before the feeding of the 5,000. His disciples pray publicly before a company of 120 people in Acts chapter 1 when they seek the Lord for wisdom on who to replace Judas Iscariot with. They choose Matthias, but it was through a public, spoken-out prayer. He's not prohibiting public praying. Rather, he's emphasizing, prioritizing private prayer. He's helping us cultivate purity in our hearts by emphasizing our private prayer places and for us to go into them regularly. The measure of a Christian is who he or she is in private. Maybe a biblical example for you to be encouraged by this week, a little homework assignment for you. Open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Our hope is to be in Daniel next fall. A little sneak preview of what's to come next fall. Preaching through the book of Daniel. Let me read this. Daniel 6 verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house. He had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Some jealous administrators in Daniel's court get the king to make a decree that anybody who prays to any other God other than him is to be imprisoned. What does Daniel do? Well, we see the practice of Daniel. He goes into his house, as he always does three times a day, closes his upper chamber. He has a private place of prayer and he goes before the Lord. Daniel had a practice of private praying. Can I ask you, where do you go to get alone with God? Where do you go to get alone with God? I have friends and I've done this myself, praying on your commute on the T or on the 73 bus or praying at a coffee shop, you can do that. I think Jesus is pressing for privacy, for distraction-free settings, for settings of prayer where you don't have to worry about any eyeballs. That helps us pray with purity because no one's watching. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. How do you get alone with God? He's pressing us to find private places of prayer where nobody's watching. That's where you cultivate spiritual life and integrity. Where do you go to get alone with God? It is in that private place where the reward is found. Well, what is the reward? Verse 6, Jesus says, When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who is in secret, who sees in secret, will reward you. You notice he says, Your father is in secret. So your father, in fact, occupies the places of hiddenness. The unseen places is where God is. He inhabits those private places. Your father sees in secret. He rewards, he blesses in secret. He is pleased with your private pursuit of him. So what's the reward? You get God. And that's the best blessing of all. In that private place of prayer, you get God. Brothers and sisters, what makes heaven heaven is not the golden streets. What makes heaven heaven is the unveiled, unhindered no barrier, presence of God. That's what make, makes heaven heaven. And in your private prayer closet or that place of privacy that you have, you get a little taste of it, a little taste. We see through a glass dimly, it's not perfect, but you're, you're, you're pressing in, you're having fellowship with God. You get God. That is the reward intimacy, fellowship with God. Pray privately to foster a heart of purity. And second, pray concisely to foster a pure heart of prayer. Jesus says in verse 7, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now, some historical context, Gentiles would repeat over and over again. That's the idea here with heap up empty phrases. The idea is, is, is stammering and repeating mindlessly requests and the names of God, the, the Gentiles would do this thinking that their repetition would somehow invoke their divines, the favor of their gods. An example of this, 1 Kings eighteen twenty six, the great showdown on Mount Carmel. Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. Elijah says, make two altars We'll see who's going to respond. What do the prophets of Baal do? They have this altar. All day long they cry out, O Baal, O Baal. And the word says, and they said it all day long. "Oh Baal, oh," ba-, And no one heard. No one listened. And you know what Elijah did. Pour water over this thing again and again. And he cried out to the living God and God sent fire down on that altar because he's the one true living God. You cannot manipulate God through mindless, mechanical repetition. The call here is to be thoughtful about your praying. We as Christians do this sometimes with over and over again kind of saying, you know, the same name of God. It's okay. It's okay. You know, you you need to to draw near to God and, and sometimes repeating his name is a way to do that. But I would just ask, are you being thoughtful? If you're repeating the names of God, do you know what those names mean? the warning here is against mindless kind of mechanical rote incantation to elicit a response from the god, from god what's wrong with that it's works based and not grace based that's what's wrong with that notice what's happening when you're praying like that you're trusting in your phraseology or your formulaic words or your repetition to somehow merit favor from god that's that's works based religion, and it's empty, and it doesn't save, whereas a concise, thoughtful prayer is a prayer offered in faith. I don't have to repeat it a hundred times over. I say, Lord, here's where I am. Here's what I need. I trust in you. Be concise, be thoughtful, and press into the Lord. That's what he's asking for. That's grace-based, because you realize you don't have it. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing that you could say, a special way to say it, that's going to elicit favor from God. Just be concise, be thoughtful, trust in him. He hears you. He leans his ear. He inclines his ear to you. You don't have to heap up empty phrases. Be concise. Trust in him. He hears. Jesus warns, do not be like them, like the hypocrites, Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, the obvious question is, if that is so, then why do we need to pray? You you notice this? Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay, Jesus, then why do we need to pray? Have you ever wondered that? Because prayer demonstrates dependence. And God is about his people depending upon him. God wants to see that his children are desperate for him, that they're dependent upon him. Prayer cultivates dependence upon God. God's aim in our lives is dependence. And sins is independence. That's what happened at Genesis 3. You don't need God. You can go at it alone. No. God created us as dependent beings, and the gift of prayer is that it fosters that dependence. That's why we need to voice our concerns, because it demonstrates our dependence. Last fall, we opened up to the Beatitudes. What's the first Beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the gateway Beatitude. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? To be poor in spirit means to acknowledge that you need God, That you're desperate for him. That's the gateway into into the kingdom. That's, That's the pathway of salvation to say, I am lost and I need you to find me. I need God. And prayer is one discipline that helps us remember that we need God. I need you. I'm desperate for you. I can't do anything without you. Come, come, work in my life. Prayer cultivates a poverty of spirit. It's the essence of the gospel. Your praying is a reinforcing that you believe the gospel, that you need someone who is greater and mightier than you. You need a deliverer. You need a savior. Your praying cultivates the gospel. And if you're here and you've never heard the gospel, we want to share that with you. The Bible says that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are in a great predicament. And we all stand in need of a Savior to give us forgiveness, and it can only be found in Jesus Christ, his death on a cross and his resurrection from the grave. You need God this morning. I need God this morning. And you don't have to work for it. You don't have to say some special, you know, formulaic thing. You just have to look to him and say, I believe you, Jesus. I believe you died for me and rose again. Welcome me as your child. That's the gospel. You need God and so do I. Pray with a pure heart. We see an example not to follow and two instructions to follow to foster purity of heart. Pray with a pure heart. Many of us find it difficult to pray. I want to conclude with this. It's tough. It's a a privilege and a gift, but it's also a discipline, and it's a struggle. I love what Donald Whitney says in his ex, book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, he says this, there are many good resources for learning how to pray, but the best way to learn how to pray is to pray. What's he saying? Just start somewhere. Just begin a conversation. So here's what I want to leave you with. If you have an hour in your life who is the person that you want to spend that hour with most? Who is your favorite conversational partner in this life? If you have an hour to have your favorite drink, whether that's hot intelligentsia coffee or tea or orange juice, Brian Hodder, (laughs) whatever it is, who is that conversation partner that you want to be with? You see, that's what prayer is. It does not have to be elaborate. It has to be dependent and earnest, just genuine. Who is your favorite conversational partner? My prayer for myself and for my kids and for you, our church family, is that Jesus Christ will be your favorite conversational partner in the day. Because the Bible says that he's a friend of sinners. He's a friend of people like you and me. And he wants us to go to him and have regular conversation and let it be fluid and natural. Seek him like you do your best friend in conversation. Many ways to learn how to pray, but his best advice is just to start, just to pray. Have a conversation. The Lord will hear you. It will delight him, and it will be good for your soul. Pray with a pure heart. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the privilege and the gift that prayer is. We also understand that it's a discipline and a struggle. We need your empowerment to help us, to move us, and motivate us to pray, and not just to pray, but to pray in the right manner, uh, motivated by the right truth. God, guard us against fear of what people think, uh, drawing attention to ourselves. God, help us to pursue purity, authenticity in our praying. Help us to grow in our dependence upon you and to exercise private and public prayer to do that. I pray for some who need Christ this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would work in their hearts, bring about an understanding of the gospel, understanding of their sin, and the beauty of you, their Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.